0: Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Paul Miller from Great Plate Hospitality coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: Great, Eric. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week because we have Big Bel Air burger news to discuss. Let's start with topic number one. Bel Air Broiler Burger has made its triumphant return. For now, it is operating as a food truck while the restaurant space is under renovations. They'll be completed in a few months, and then it will resume its regular service. Uh, Mary, let let me just throw it to you. This is, this is one of those kind of historic restaurants that, you know, if you grew up in Bel Air, Meyerland, went to Bel Air High School, is like really important. And if you aren't from that neighborhood, you may have never heard of. So, so what is your personal relationship with Bel Air Broiler Burger? And, and are you excited that it has returned?
1: So I went to high school in Bel Air, and this was definitely a favorite uh, spot for us for off-campus lunches. And after a couple year closure, I'm so happy that a restaurant like this can come back. So excited, excited to see it yet again and excited that it's still around.
0: Right. You went to Episcopal High School, which is down the street. For people who haven't been to Bell or Broiler Burger, how do you describe what they're doing?
1: I mean, it's old school, right? I kind of liken it to the same era. I know we're going to talk about it here in a minute, but Linkford's. I mean, these old school, these old timey kind of burger joints. I mean, it's not really it's a no frills type of space, but has been serving good food for a very, very long time. And I just think people are nostalgic, especially during the time that we're, we're in. And so many restaurants that people love have disappeared. So the fact that they're going to hang out and still be here and putting some love and remodeling it, I think that's great.
0: Yeah, no, I, I will say this is uh, Jason Scheinthal, who was the owner of 1836, a bar in Upper Kirby that kind of opened right before the pandemic and closed earlier this year, is responsible for reviving Bel Air Broiler Burger. And previously, he had also purchased the, the recipes and the intellectual property from the Roadster Grill, which is a Greek diner that operated in Bel Air for a long time. So he's going to do both menus at the same space. And it really does. It it just kind of feels like this, you know, retro charming, you know, very familiar, very neighborhood-oriented, you know, very reasonably priced, you know, kind of dual concept that, you know, speaks to well really speaks to people in the area. I I mean this was a, a very well-read article on Culture Map, and, and I think that's a testament to to the kind of role Beller Broiler Burger played in people's lives. that they, they felt a connection to this restaurant, you know, those thin patty kind of diner style cheeseburgers, you know, he's going to bring back some of the other stuff, the, the chicken tenders, the chili that, that people really loved. And I, just think, uh, I think this is all good things, you know, particularly thinking about kind of, well, we'll talk about this in a minute, but like all the changes going on in Bel Air, you know, Bernie's Burger Bus closed a couple of years ago. And so, you know, you've got Jack's Grill, that's a neighborhood institution, but there, there's a relative dearth of kind of burger options, and, and this will definitely be uh, welcomed by people in the area.
1: Especially, I think, price cons- conscientious people right now. I know inflation's hitting all these restaurants very, very hard, but an affordable burger joint will be much loved by Bel Air. Very family-friendly neighborhood.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the burgers are like eight or nine bucks, and, and he's going to add... Combos with fries and a drink to kind of help people out. But you know, the, the the biggest complaint is it's more expensive than it used to be. And the answer is, yeah, of course it is, because the cost of beef is higher. You know, paying <laughs> cooks an affordable wage, you know, a livable wage is is a lot more expensive. So yes, it's it's more expensive. And and to Jason's credit, I think he said, you know, if he can get his cost down, if the cost of beef decreases, he'll pass that on because he recognizes he knows their their role in the world. It's not some super fancy premium burger place. It's a neighborhood, come as you are, Burger joint.
1: I love that, especially for Bel Air.
0: All right, let us move on to topic number two. This is the other big Bel Air burger news. Lankford Grocery, the 85-year-old restaurant in Midtown, announced that they will open a second location in the former brisket barbecue space. I mean, Mary, this is this is like right in your wheelhouse. This is a, a classic Houston burger joint that's been around for longer than either of us have been alive. What what is what is your take on Langford, and and what do you think about them seeking a second location in Bel Air?
1: Well, I love the original Lankford location, and I think it's going to be really hard to duplicate that um, that atmosphere, that ambiance, those picnic tables outside. Uh, but if the food is anything like the original, I'm absolutely here for it and excited for it.
0: Yeah, I, I will say it had Lankford and, and Blue Dorm recently partnered on a, a weekend burger pop-up that I, I went to. It had been a number of years since I had been to Langford prior to that. But it's a very easy restaurant to love. It's got that kind of old school Texas charm, you know, with the old signs on the walls and the roll-up garage door and the picnic tables out front. It's hidden away in a neighborhood, you know, these thick, beefy burgers with, you know, you could get them, you can get them with, you know, lettuce, tomatoes, mustard, mayo, or you could get it topped with mac and cheese and a fried egg. They'll they, it runs the gamut. And, and there's a real charm to that. And so and I
1: think, super affordable.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I think most of the burgers, as far as I could remember, all of the burgers are under, are under 10 bucks or, or around 10 bucks. Maybe they've gone up a little bit, but, and it's, and it's very much like a cross section of humanity. One of those kind of Houston experiences where you'll see, you know, guys that pull up in Mercedes wearing Rolexes sitting next to uh, a bunch of guys on a lawn crew that are taking their lunch break. So. It's got a real charm to it absolutely so so what do you think Langford needs to do to kind of bring that magic to Bel Air at this new location?
1: I think as much as possible, kind of a vintage design to it like don't make it look too shiny and new. things that people like about Langford is the age that you can see in the building and I don't know that location's very unique right it's not a It's not a towering, imposing space. It's a tiny little house. The majority of the seating, well, I say the majority, a lot of the seating is outdoors. And it's just friendly, a friendly atmosphere and great hospitality. So as long as they can transfer that to the new location, I think they'll do great. No,
0: I I agree. And And I think they are taking some important steps to, you know, prepare themselves for the new location, you know, they're going to do dinner. So, you know, they have, they have all these great weekly specials, you know, enchiladas on Tuesday, chicken fried steak on Thursday, you know, they may be making, they may find a permanent place on the dinner menu, which I think would be really smart. They're going to add a full mixed beverage license. So you can get cocktails and maybe a boozy shake that opens up a lot of happy hour options for them, you know, would help them round out their brunch service. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I talked to Paul Pryor, who, who recently, you know, his family has always owned the restaurant. He recently assumed control of it. You know, this is something he's wanted to do for a long time. And, and he's not doing it lightly. I mean, he understands the value of the Lankford brand. He, he thought about locations in the Heights, some other places. But he's got a real uh, base of customers, Galleria, Bel Air, Meyerland who are clamoring for this and and who have been incredibly excited about this news. So, you know, I, I think this has a lot of potential.
1: It was, I'm not kidding you every single Friday of law school, that's where we went. And, you know, it was a place we could afford in law school that you could have a good time, have a great meal, get together with six, eight, 10 of your friends. And if that atmosphere translates to here, I think they'll have brand loyalty for sure.
0: All right, so I have to ask what is your Lankford order?
1: Oh, I'm a simpleton, just a single patty, crinkle cut fries, and a soda.
0: <laughs> Very good. All right. Uh, for me, that 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 Thursday chicken fried steak special is is pretty delicious. It's been a while since I've had it, but I have fond memories and and I think this news will will prompt a revisit uh, to to check in on it and see if it's as good as I remember. Let us move on to topic number three. Uchi Co., the sister restaurant to Uchi, announced its opening date. They are opening on Post Oak Boulevard in the Zadok Jewelers Building on May 23rd. I think, Mary, of all of my friends and certainly all of the co hosts of this podcast, you are the one who dines at Uchi most frequently. You go to Austin on a semi regular basis. So what is your take on UchiCo and, and how is it different from Uchi?
1: Ooh, good question. Um, I don't know how big this space is, but I imagine just given the scale of the site, it's going to be quite a bit bigger than the original Uchi here in Houston and definitely a lot bigger than the OG Uchi in Austin. Um, it offers, you know, I, I think of people like my mom who, is not a huge sushi fan. And I kind of think that Uchiko helps bridge the gap between people who are more traditionalist for sushi, and it offers more extensive options that are not necessarily just raw fish. Um, So it's a little more mainstream, I would say, uh, than Uchi, in my opinion. And this one's going to have hard alcohol, so that will also separate it from Uchi, which is basically a sake, beer, and wine uh, list program.
0: No, I, I think that's right. And, and you know, in the press materials, they sort of describe it as, you know, it has this robotic grill. And, and so you get more cooked items or items that are smoked and cured. And that that's kind of what what sets it apart. They're going to do a, a dry-aged duck dish with charred cabbage. They're going to do, you know, a pork belly dish. They've, they've got some sort of big plans for this place. and And, and yes, I think, you know, having a full bar, being able to sell Japanese whiskey, especially, I think will really set them apart. You know, this is, this is kind of an interesting time for, for High Hospitality, the company that owns Uchi. They just opened Loro. Obviously, Uchiko is getting ready to open. They announced that they're going to add this uh, separate omakase counter to Uchi. Linda and I talked about that last week. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of startling to think about, but Uchi has been in Houston for 10 years now. And and so this is kind of high, really like stepping up and, and, you know, really expanding their presence in the city. I, I mean, I, I remember when Uchi opened, it was so exciting. And I said this last week, you know, it felt like every chef was kind of celebrating their birthdays there. I mean, do you have the sense that Uchi Co's opening will have that same level of excitement or, or like, what are your expectations?
1: I think, you know, I'm not going to put high hospitality in the major food group category, which is another big corporation, but it's getting there. I mean, they, they are a real deal, you know, large corporation at this point. And so I think things feel a little more corporate than they used to. I remember when Uchi opened in Austin, when I was in college and it felt like something I had never experienced before. And that sense of wonder and, you know, you, going to a place that the offerings are more than just California rolls and kind of the typical sushi that I grew up with, at least here in Houston. And so I think people that haven't been exposed to Uchiko and Austin um, or some of their other locations, that this will be exciting for them at first. Absolutely. I think the location of where it's at is definitely um, meant to appeal to a wider audience and capture some of the international travel and business uh, money that flows through this town and hopefully will return uh, during these, you know, hopefully post-COVID days that we're in. And so I think it will, it, it's going to be balancing a lot of different things. They, it's original identity with where it's going, which is a big company.
0: Right, I mean, there are now you know Uchi locations in Austin, Houston, Dallas, but also Denver and Miami. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, the company got uh, I don't remember. I think the I think the adjective was substantial, an investment by KSL Capital Partners, a, a private equity firm that's fueling a lot of this growth. And, and certainly, you know, they they have Lauros in Houston, Austin, and Dallas. They're opening a second Lauro in Dallas. They've announced that you know, you had Aaron Franklin on the podcast. He, he confirmed that a second Houston Laurel is certainly a possibility. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. They're not at major food group, which is, you know, Carbone and, and a whole bunch of other restaurants, uh, you know, New York, Las Vegas, Miami, but they're getting there and, you know, cementing their position in Texas is kind of an essential step before, you know, they really take this national and, and, so maybe it doesn't have that kind of hipster indie thing anymore, but it but it does still have its reputation for for high quality food, great service, and, and all of that I think will serve it well.
1: I think as long as the hospitality and the and the quality of the product remains, they're gonna do great. I worry a lot of times when these venture capital backed restaurant groups or they take outside money, a lot of times those groups are looking for returns on their investment and and they cut corners so as long as they don't cut corners i will be a very happy customer at uchiko all
0: right i'm gonna say that does it for the news of the week we'll be right back with our restaurant of the week stick (laughs) around This podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Join Green Street's 10th anniversary event featuring an artisan market on Saturday, May 21st from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. It starts at 10 a.m. with yoga on the outdoor lawn by Lifetime Fitness with a live DJ. At 11 a.m., shop the vendor market with 50 plus vendors, artisans, and makers curated by BLCK Market and the Brunch Market on the second and third floors. And at 3 p.m., it's Astro's Happy Hour. Watch the Astros take on the Rangers that evening at Green Street's on-site restaurants and bars, or you can snag a free 30-minute B-cycle and ride to Minute Maid Park to take in the game in person. The event is free to attend, and paid parking is available at the Green Street Garage, which is located at 1320 Fannin Street. For more information, go to greenstreetdowntown.com calendar. That's greenstreetdowntown.com calendar. Mary, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Marmo. This is the new Italian steakhouse in the Montrose Collective. It comes from Atlas Restaurant Group, the Baltimore-based hospitality company behind Lockbar and Uzo Bay in River Oaks. I had Scott Soma from Atlas, who's their director of operations, kind of overseeing all three properties on the show. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Marmo pretty extensively. But when I talked to Scott, I hadn't eaten there yet. And now I have with you. So let me throw it to you. What did you think about our dinner at Marmo?
1: I was honestly very pleasantly surprised. I think I went into that dining experience thinking something's going to be a mess. I just, you know, they're trying to deal with a lot. It's an ambitious restaurant. Uh, It's ambitious for Montrose, and it's kind of the first big anchor tenant of that new development with Montrose Collective. And I remarked in front of you to Scott Solma, who I've known for a very long time, that I was so happy that every everything hit. There were there were no major misses, which is pretty rare for you and I these days.
0: No, that's true. I mean, we go to these new restaurants a lot, and we see a lot of good ideas and a lot of potential but but sometimes uneven execution or a service staff that's still kind of figuring its way out. And, and, you know, I take all of that with a grain of salt because, you know, nobody can hire enough staff. Everything is way more complicated than it was pre pandemic in terms of restaurant operations. So I, I, I've sort of learned to fade all that, but yeah, we found a, a very polished version of Marmo and, and, I don't know what were what were maybe your two or three favorite dishes from from that night because I I definitely had a few.
1: I we had a bone-in cowboy cut ribeye uh, from a Chicago uh, meat producer and the quality of the steak and the execution of it was top-notch and all of their pastas. Honestly, I had some favorites more than others, but my personal favorite favorite was the sea urchin and squid ink. A uh, pasta dish, very rich. I would recommend sh- a shareable dish for sure, um, just to get a couple bites of, of the flavor of that dish. And also, the crudo that we had uh, was was delightful. I mean, it it really hit high notes on both seafood, pasta, and steak. Which usually, you know, a steakhouse I don't typically like a lot of their seafood dishes, or they don't execute their sides as well. And and here they executed on all fronts.
0: No, I agree with you. I mean, that squid and campanelle, as you said, with the, the blue crab and the uni cream sauce, so decadent. You're right. I don't think I would want to take it on as my only dish or my entree just because it's so rich, but it was so flavorful and so easy to share. Lobster ravioli had terrific, you know, lobster flavor, a lot of sweetness. You know, it's so easy for, for that delicate flavor to get overwhelmed in a dish like that. This was really spot on. I thought the meatballs were terrific. A blend of uh, beef, feel and pork, which is a super classic Italian approach, just, just rich and flavorful and satisfying. Uh, You talked about the steak. I mean, you know, even the, uh, the chicken parm, sweet, crispy, cheesy, gooey, exactly what you want from a dish like that. Just pure comfort. And of course, you know, we were their guests. So we weren't, we weren't paying for the dinner. Um, This is not, this is not an inexpensive restaurant by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but we were there on a weekday night and the dining room was full. And, and I do think there's a lot of excitement about this place. People, you know, people know Lock Bar. They know Uzo Bay. They've been very well received, uh, especially for an out-of-town restaurant group. And like you said, they know Scott Selma because he was at, at Tony's for many years. He opened Chaubello. He opened Valones. And, and people know him and they want to see him there and And they're excited and and I think they should be. This was a, a very impressive dinner.
1: I think the you know the atmosphere of the space that night, it was definitely hustling and bustling. The energy felt good in the room, and our service was very friendly. The server that we had did a, a very nice job, which I always think, like you said earlier, staffing is so incredibly difficult right now. So hats off to Scott for being able to staff this restaurant with knowledgeable, competent, happy people that are working there. Uh, There's a live music component, which I think is really nice. I know Lock Bar also has a live music component. And so I think that's kind of cheers up the room for sure. And the wines, albeit the markup is expensive, but there were some nice selections on there from smaller producers and importers. And it's always nice to see that there was thought and care that went into the wine list. So I was very pleased with the wines that we had that night. Yeah, I,
0: I think, you know, obviously with the steakhouse, especially in Houston, you got to have the big California names that everybody knows. But, but Scott knows his Italian wines and, and they have a sommelier in the group. And, and so they they do. They've got some fun Italian choices that are very food friendly that I really enjoyed. And, and so I, I like that they can kind of do both. I'll cater to the mainstream. But if you're more of a wine enthusiast, you're looking for something a little more offbeat. Uh, they can do that too, and that's a real credit to them.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We had some some fun and playful and natural wines, so uh, always a delight to see some non obvious choices on a on a wine list of a restaurant this scale.
0: And, and I will say, you know, the the live music is a is a pianist, and he was cranking the hits: Billy Joel, Elton John. I think I heard Steely Dan, all all very familiar. If you're if you're sort of my age, you know, thirties, forties, fifties. I think this this is a a mix of music that will really appeal to you. And, you know, if not, just ask to be seated sort of farther in the back of the dining room and you won't be able to hear it as clearly. I I haven't I haven't had a chance to go back, uh, but I would like to. They're open for lunch. Have you been back? Will you go back?
1: I would love to go back for lunch with you. I want to try that meatball sandwich and I want to try their burger and I want to see what their lunch format looks like. I think it'll be nice to have uh, a different vantage point of what this restaurant can do at a different price point for people that maybe want to dip their toes here, but, you know, don't want to get splashy or spendy with a extravagant dinner. I think the lunch option is something we should definitely consider.
0: Right. And, and just to be clear, I, I said that they should take those meatballs and make them a sub for the oh. lunch menu. <laughs> they said, they said only for staff meal, but I, but well, I would not staff be, meal. <laughs> but I would not be afraid to be like, give me the burger bun and put the order, like, give me give me a toasted burger bun, give me the order of meatballs, and I'll make my own damn meatball sandwich. Like, because those meatballs were killer.
1: So like I did with Justin Yu's uh, hot dog at BLT the other day, I was like, I would like a deconstructed hot dog on the side so you can build your own meatball sandwich. <laughs>
0: All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I will be right back with Paul Miller. I am joined this week by the owner of Great Plate Hospitality. That is the company behind the Union Kitchen Jack's Grill and coming soon, Passarella, an Italian restaurant in Cyprus. Paul Miller, welcome back to the show. How are you?
2: I am absolutely wonderful, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me back on.
0: Thanks for doing this. You know, we kind of told your story in the, you know, the last time. I know it's, I know it's been a, a few years probably since you were on the show, but maybe just kind of catch us up over the last couple of years. I mean, I, I remember talking to you like right before restaurant shut down and you had this kind of vision for we'll run to go only we'll use our managers. And then obviously you pivoted and you closed for a little bit and then you reopened and, and now you're running and gunning again, but, but, but maybe just talk a little bit about kind of what you've learned these last two years and how things have changed for you.
2: Wow. That's a lot, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're starting you know, deep. I, I know you can handle it. The, um, the, uh, You know, the the thing, when I have conversations about this, the thing I always start with is before COVID, I had two less restaurants and I had a little over 500 employees. Um, During COVID, we opened two more restaurants, a Union Kitchen and a Jack's Grill out in Katy. And currently I've got about 340 employees. So we are bigger, meaning more restaurants And we, you know, we're actually, we're just getting ready to open Passarella, and I've actually got a date for you now. Um, But uh, I have fewer employees, man. And if I had my way, I would be closer to 600, um, you know, with, with our hourly staff members, you know, front of the house, back of the house, um, managers. Um, You know, I think what we all kind of learned to do during COVID was to do more with less. Um, And the people that are in the building uh, have take on more responsibility. Um, you know, maybe I used to have two extra people at each restaurant manager wise, so that when we took over another restaurant or we opened another restaurant, that I had somebody in-house that understood our culture and understood, you know, how how to use our systems, like, you know, open table and restaurant 365 and focus and you know, all these kind of computer systems that are there. And you just don't have that now. And um, you know, going out and interviewing, um, it's, uh, you know, you've got, you've got one or the other. You've either got somebody who's been sitting at home for the last two years and they want to get back out into the workforce now, which are not particularly motivated and they only want to work a couple of days a week. Or you have somebody who has been, you know, just killing it, working their butts off for some other concept. And they want, you know, they've just got this list of demands that are so high because they're probably relatively happy where they are. So, you know, finding some people that fit what we're looking for is, uh, you know, has been has been difficult. But, um, you know, as far as as far as pivoting, um, I would say smaller menus, uh, doing more with less, uh, higher quality ingredients, um, ordering systems and inventories that are much tighter than what they used to be. Um, smaller inventories on liquor, wine, and beer, a uh, much more focused wine menu, a much more focused cocktail list. Um, man, I could, go, I could go on and on. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 mean, on some level, I, I know that's got to be,
0: that's had to be really difficult for you because I think of you as a more is more guy, right? More menu items, bigger wine list. you know, something for everybody, right? Give, give everybody you know, as many choices as possible so that you, you never have a reason not to come, especially the Union Kitchen, because it really is one of those, those restaurants that tries to serve all people all the time.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, Union Kitchen used to have uh, around 200 and something menu items and that's brunch. We had a full, uh, a full lunch menu. We got the all day menu. We have a kid's menu. We, I mean, it was just like, all over the place and then when we came back and kind of had to reevaluate how many items we wanted in inventory what we wanted that inventory amount to be uh who our purveyors were uh, you know can we cut somebody out you know things like that we just completely changed the menu now we still have sandwiches and salads and pizza and burgers and you know steaks and fish we just don't have multiple of all those things you know and, and you're right i you know, I was with Cheesecake Factory or, you know, Grand Lux Cafe. I opened the one in the Galleria. Um, Grand Lux is part of Cheesecake Factory. And, um, I got used to that, you know, the, the managing, you know, multiple stations and having gigantic menus. And again, like you said, having something for everybody. And it's just, it's just different now, you know, Passarella is a much more focused menu. Um, you know, we, 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 we started out with, maybe 60 items on that menu. And then we've done multiple tastings and narrowed it down to these categories that we want to, uh, that we want to serve. And, you know, I'm really happy with the, you know, with the direction that we're going, I think we've probably got one or two more tastings, Um, you know, opening days right around the corner. So we're going to have it dialed in by, you know, by the time we're, by the time we're welcoming guests.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's, that's a good opportunity to to sort of shift to Passarella. Just kind of start at the beginning because it, it wouldn't necessarily occur to me that you would want to open an Italian restaurant. Uh,
2: to be honest with you, it didn't, it didn't occur to me either until COVID hit. And I had a great opportunity to, you know, I, I, I don't want to dwell on COVID, but when, when, when the governor came out and said, or the mayor specifically came out and said, okay, no more indoor dining. We tried to transfer everything to to go and our food is really meant to be on a plate you know we've got to go boxes for you know if you eat half your meal and you want to take it with you and we still do to go but we've 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 done a heck of a lot better than what we used to do it's just very hard to package up you know something that's got uh, reduced balsamic as a finishing sauce or you know uh, having to put all of your sauces on the side that have multiple multiple components you know it was just it was difficult for us and we figured it out and, you know, moving forward, it became, uh, it's kind of become second nature. Uh, but when we closed, we actually did the fire sale kind of like everybody did, or I shouldn't say everybody, like some people did where we set up a grocery store in the front and we put everything out there and we sold all of our dry goods. We sold all of our wine. Obviously you couldn't sell any liquor. Um, you could only sell mixed drinks. So we tried to get inventory down as low as possible. So, that when we came back to open, we ordered everything fresh, sort of like we were opening a new restaurant all over again. So, you know, with that being said, you closed down for, I think it was maybe four and a half weeks, five weeks that we were closed. And I got together with a bunch of my chefs and really started having these kind of in depth conversations about you know, where they worked before and what's your favorite type of food and in a perfect world, what would you cook or, you know, things like that. And I found out that, you know, Ed worked for Tony Vallone and Mark Cox and Chris Shepard. And, you know, he was throwing out some of these recipes and menu ideas that I was just like, holy crap, man, this, that sounds really good. And then Lundy worked for Mendola's for years and years and years, right? So he was at Pronto. He was kind of one of the first chefs that was over there in that concept. He worked at um, all three concepts that are over there off of, uh, what is that? Mid Lane, um, Grappino's. West, West Dallas, right? Uh- West. Oh yeah, West Dallas, West Dallas. So he worked at all three of those concepts. And then Stephanie worked, at, uh, Ed's wife, who's the sous chef over at Passarella, worked at uh, Valone's under uh, Kate while she was there and she was not only a sous chef, but also the pastry chef. And I'm just sitting here like, man, I, I honestly had no idea I had this much talent in house, you know, had this not happened, I maybe wouldn't have had those conversations. So we started putting together a menu and then, um, there was a place called the flying vine. It was a, it was a a pretty decent sized kitchen for a wine bar. And it was right down from us on, um, on uh, the boardwalk there, and they, during COVID at some point, I don't know when exactly, but they just kind of packed up their stuff and moved out, and I said, hey, somebody's going to move in there, and somebody's going to do really well, because it's a beautiful patio, it's right on the water, it's a cool spot, and why not, why not us? So, at that point, um, I got, I went to the landlord, and got my chefs, and they cooked up a bunch of food, and we invited the landlord down there and we did this presentation on what we thought the restaurant could be. And they loved it and wrote up a lease and we signed it. And, you know, here we are a few months later getting, getting close to opening. So that was kind of a long story, man. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I,
0: I think it's all good. I, I, I think those are, those, are great. those are great anecdotes and, and great details. You know, over the years, we have sort of learned, right, there's Italian-American, right, spaghetti and meatballs, lasagna, chicken parm. There's, you know, more northern Italian asso and and you know, sort of simpler simpler pastas with lamb or duck or you know other ingredients, risotto. Where does passerella fit and or 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 are you maybe or are you kind of doing your own thing?
2: Um, you know, it's a little bit of Originally, I thought we were going to be much more Southern Italian and focus on uh, more seafood and maybe try to do some crudo, Um, you know, have the uh, bronzino. Obviously, everybody's got calamari, octopus, things like that. And I certainly, while I certainly wouldn't write any of those things off, um, these guys do a great lasagna you know there's a woman that uh, has a company up in uh, up in Cyprus that we're going to buy all of our pastas from fresh so we're going to have 100% fresh pasta and i thought we were going to be making it i was looking at machines to put back in the back and when i tasted when i tasted her product i just thought it was spectacular we're going to make the fillings for the raviolis that uh, she is going to produce for us so she basically comes over and picks up the filling, takes it over to her place, puts it in a ravioli. So it's fresh. It tastes absolutely fantastic. And it's our, you know, it's our recipe. It's us putting things together. So, um, you know, are we going to do Asabuco? Yeah. Absolutely. Lasagna. Um, the, the, the chefs are doing, um, you know, so like, So like in a Bolognese sauce, you use a little bit of pork and you use a little bit of beef, right? So how do you do it different? How do you do something special? We're using Wagyu from RC and we're using wild boar. So you've got the pork, which is the wild boar. You've got Wagyu, which is, you know, just a a fantastic product. And and RC Ranch is a great, you know, purveyor and a great partner. So this Bolognese with, uh, whether we do it with a, um, you know, with a with a fettuccine or a pasta or a, a spaghetti. I think we're going to do it with a um, Radiatore, which is sort of a curly-edged pasta. So it yeah, it's the ridges. Yep, it grabs a hold of that sauce and the meat. Um, you know, the, those are the kind of little curveballs that we're really trying to focus on. And and I've learned more about. I always loved Italian wines, so Matt uh, Stevenson and I building that list is is something that I'm just having an absolute blast with. Um, but between chef Lundy and Ed and Stephanie and the, um, you know, the fresh pastas that we're bringing in, it's just kind of fun to, to put things together, man. I, I learned that the majority of the uh, Italian food that in America we eat has been morphed in New York and we it's kind of grown its way all the way across the country you know, a lot of this stuff that's traditional Italian that you that you've always thought was traditional Italian, is not. Like a meatball is not traditional Italian.
0: <laughs> right, so, they're much smaller. Right, like yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> so it's you know um, it's an education as much as I think it is a uh, an education for me as much as it is identifying specific ingredients that we think are fantastic you know, all the microgreens that we're using for garnish and in dishes, we're buying from a local distributor in Cyprus. The pastas are all fresh. And I'm sure you know this, but anybody out there that's listening, you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference between a dried pasta and a fresh pasta. And I used to say that was BS. You could not. But now after eating pasta for the last six months, like literally on on the daily, I can tell I can tell the difference, man. It's um it's 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 pretty impressive when you eat, you know, when you eat stuff that's fun. But there's also how many new Italian restaurants have opened up? I mean, I've been to Tutoria Sofia a hundred times. I've been, you know, there's several uh um oh my gosh, what was the place that we went the other day? Concura, um, over there. Uh I, I can't remember what the name of that center is, but uh right by Yeah,
0: mid lane, mid lane kind of yep. afternoes you
1: know. Yep
2: they're awesome. You know, some of the old school places, we've gone back to Valones a couple of times. Uh, I went to Potente. Um, I mean, it's just like, we're, we're kind of going all over town and seeing what, you know, what people are doing well and you know, what what the dishes are that we like and then how can we create them where you're just not going out and, you know, knocking somebody off, you've got to do something that's original and interesting and, you know, something that somebody wants to come back for. So, well,
0: I, I mean, you, you know, you could even, you could even go a little farther if you wanted to. Cause you know, if you think about it, there's O'Bracco from Dallas. It's about to open on Posto. Chris Shepard's working on Pastore. There's uh, Etta from uh, the Chicago based restaurant group. that's coming downtown. We, we are swimming. Like we are, we are just like awash in, you know, Italian food, Italian inspired food. I mean, even the up in uh, uh, Garden Oaks, you know, mm-hmm. was kind of playing in that sandbox. I mean, What what is it about Italian food? Do you think like what has made us so hungry for, for you know pasta and chicken piccata and Caesar salad and and all that stuff?
2: That's that's the easy that's the easy answer, man. It's during COVID, everybody went to comfort food, man. Everybody, you know the the amount of you know the amount of meatloaf that we've sold, the chicken fried steak, the um, you know, just the kind of more hearty, you know, uh, the chicken parmesan, uh, pistachio chickens, the, you know, all those things that are just sort of that, that comfort food type thing. People have gone back to we've sold more truffled mac and cheese in the last six months than I think I sold in the first, you know, 10 years of our operation. So it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it just kind of makes you feel it makes you feel good. It makes you feel full. Um, you know, it's, it's very kind of, kind of, you know, heartwarming, I guess, or fills your soul or something like that. And, it, and Italian food is just, has just been fun to me. It's kind of like whenever I think about Italian food, it's getting people together and, and cracking a bottle of wine and, and getting a big plate of pasta in the middle of the table. You know, we're, we were talking about if we want if we're, if we're going to close a day, would we want to close on a Monday or a Tuesday and you know, our, our sales are, you know, Monday and Tuesday are, are pretty close to the same, but I think Tuesday's probably less than Monday. So if we're open on Monday, we're talking about doing like a family style meal in the evening, um, knowing that we're not going to be open on Monday, sort of like, um, Ibiza used to do back in the day with the big paella on Sundays, cause they were closed on Monday. Man, that was my favorite thing to order. I'd go in there and get a big bottle of wine and Charles was usually running around there and they'd send out these big old pans of paella and it, you literally never knew what it was going to have in there. You know, it was, you know, fish and mussels and clams and, and calamari and octopus and just all this stuff. Um, And it was fun. So, you know, do we do like a, like a family style pasta and maybe pans of lasagna or things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's, there's just so many, not that there's not a ton of options with every other style of food that's out there, but there's just so many options. When you look at the menu and you say, you know, where do we want to live, man? Do we want to go way south towards, you know, towards um, the boot? Do we want to go northern Italy, where it's, you know, all the, they've got a lot more land, and it's a lot more beef and risotto? You know, do we want to go towards the coast and do the fish? Um, you know, we're talking about maybe dividing it up, dividing the menu up kind of regionally, and, you know, and, and, and saying, hey, these are the things from this place, and these are the things from this place, and they pair really well with, a super Tuscan or a Barolo or just a Chianti or, you know, it's, th- those are the things that are a little bit more in flux that I'd love to get you out to the restaurant and have you try some of this stuff and kind of get your, you know, kind of get your opinion on it. So it's that, but, but being in the restaurant business, man, that's, what's fun. Like there's, it's not boring. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell you reporting on the restaurant
0: business isn't, isn't boring either. It's, it's fun to observe and, and, think about and comment on, I mean, you mentioned the bolognese, you mentioned the ravioli, what are maybe two or three other dishes that you're just super excited to introduce to people?
2: Man, the, the Bronzini, uh, that these guys are, are doing is absolutely spectacular. Um, seared. We're, we're figuring out what the, uh, what the best combination of sides are going to be, but it's a super simple white wine cream sauce, finished with a little bit of butter over the top. Um, You know, we're doing the prosciutto wrap fontina. Oh, 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 we're using Calabrian peppers. Like, like I bought a, I bought a bunch of number 10 cans and we're just figuring out where the heck can we use those? The, um, the calamari has fresh sliced, uh, lemons in it. It's got shrimp. Um, we're frying uh, a few pieces of, um, anchovy to put on top for those people that kind of like that umami salty sort of finish. Um, gosh, what else? you know, everything sort of has that kind of modern twist to it. We, we're doing some things with the cocktail list that that I really think you're going to like. Um, we're playing around with limoncello with um, sort of a spritzer type finish and maybe putting a cherry. Um, the uh, trying to think of what the name of the Italian, uh, the Italian maraschino is Fabrizzi or Fabari, um, sort of like a cherry cherry lemonade you know, kind of a, kind of a fun, but it's a really light cocktail. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, it's just, I, I, it's, it's, it's focused enough to where we know, we know what's going to be on there a hundred percent. And then there's probably about five items that we're still, that we're still playing around the fringes on. Those might be the items that I, that I served to you to see what you're, see what you're. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always, I'm always happy to be the guinea pig. A-
0: and I will say, you know, I, I met with you a few months ago at, at the Union Kitchen location out in Katy and you tasted me through you know, some new dishes you're working on there and and new cocktails. And, and I think the thing that struck me about the drinks, especially was that they're a little simpler, right? Fresh juices, liquors you've heard of, you know, still at, still at an affordable price point, like still, still something that makes sense for your concept. But, but I, I, I have to say, I, I was so pleased to see that you kind of, you kind of, uh, join the the craft cocktail movement because I I think that's such a that's such a nice offering for people and, and I think it's something they really look for when they go out to eat
2: yeah you know um the the guys that we have on our beverage operations team right now are all about that and you know the 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 fresh juices I mean Matt Matt and Dylan uh Matt Stevenson and Dylan Hart they're playing around with like making some tinctures and you know trying to figure out how how bitters are actually made and you know while that's not our big focus because there's so many great pro- you know products out there that you can buy to add to the to the drinks it's been really fun to watch and see how our cocktails have morphed and you're right they're 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 fresh you've probably got a fresh herb in maybe half of our cocktails you've got a fresh juice in the other half Um, It is names that you recognize and what we're trying to do is kind of develop a story and a reason and a, and a combination for these, for these things, not just, not just make a list that stands on its own over here. And then a menu that stands on its own over here, but how do these dishes, how do these cocktails go with the food? Like what's the, what's the combination that makes for a better experience at the restaurant? So I think we've done a much better job with that over, you know, since, since about halfway through COVID and, and we're going to continue to go that way.
0: And then, so on the one hand, I know that you're, <laughs> you're working on opening a new restaurant, but, but I know you well enough to know you're always kind of, you're always kind of kicking tires. I mean, what do you think is kind of the future for great plate? Is it more union kitchens? Is it more Jack grills? Do you have other concepts you want to put your own spin on? I mean, there's, you know, I, I know everybody's trying to get you, been trying to get you down to Galveston for a long time. <laughs>
2: So I love Galveston. Absolutely love it. Uh, that's where my wife and I used to go all the time when we first started dating. And we met a lot of tours down there. If I could find the right opportunity, man, that would be a blast. Um, you know, I like the Pearland area. Um, there's a there's a Great Wolf Lodge is going down there and build, building a huge concept. Uh, you know, like a shopping center on the, on the water and things like that. So th- there's a lot of really big projects that are coming up. There's um, uh, on, on 99 North um, there's a brand new area and I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, but like, like thousands of houses that are being built up there, there's a super target. There's, you know, it's uh, whether it be Tomball or Cyprus or, you know, coming further down to Katie, it's kind of right there in that area. Um, uh, Fred Caldwell, who's my landlord at at the boardwalk, is building another boardwalk up north of Conrad. So I mean, Houston's not getting any smaller. There are so many opportunities to do things. But to me, um, I think Union Kitchen has legs and it's got a lot of it's got a lot of growth potential, especially, you know, if you're putting them, you know, 10 to 15 miles apart. Um, passerella, if if it hits. Um, and it, and, and the margins are right and people are liking it and the reviews are good. Um, you know, I'd like to build a few of those, uh, around town. Cause you know, I, you and I've had this conversation a, a bunch of times. I don't want to be on I-10. I don't want a 10,000 square foot restaurant on I-10. You know, that's just not really, that's not my wheelhouse. I really like being in neighborhoods. I like being involved with the community. Um, you know, we just went to the Casa de Esperanza um, uh, gala last night and heard some really cool stories. And we donated a, a dinner for ten and people's houses, and that that got bid up and went went. It was a great deal. Um, you know, we donated our suite for the Rockets game. Like like that's something that we've really cared about for years. Um, there's fundraisers for schools. There's you know all those things that I just think when you're in the middle of the neighborhood, you really get considered for and when people see that, you know, they like it. Like, you know, our regulars are not once a month, our regulars are like three times a week. So that's, you know, that's, that's the benefit of being in a neighborhood and being involved and, and, and doing those things. So that's, that's really what I see. um, the future, the future of our concept being obviously, um, large patios, uh, you know, maybe not focusing on 5,000 square feet, maybe, maybe going slightly smaller on the inside. Um, you know, being aggressive, being aggressive with the menu, Inflation's through the freaking roof, the cost of everything is going up. There's a recession coming. We all know it. You know, how are we going to react to it? So what, what we're doing right now is we're already looking at menus um, for six months or a year from now when people aren't able to go out as much as what they have been, you know, during these, these last months of progress. And, you know, what, what, what are we going to adjust? How are we going to change? How are we going to make sure that we stay the restaurant of choice? In our neighborhoods, for people to go to, so um, you know it's it's like there's never a there's never a dull moment, man. If you're not planning three, six, nine months out, you're <laughs> you're behind. Well, right, and and certainly thinking about how
0: do you keep your costs down? How do you keep things affordable? And and it's and it's on brand. I mean, you know, the Union Kitchen, you know, not that not that people don't celebrate their birthdays or anniversaries there, but it, it is that weeknight. we are not cooking tonight, but we want a great meal. Like let's, you know, let's go somewhere with great service and, and a good wine list. And I I think, you know, whatever the future holds economically, I think that will serve you well.
2: I hope so. You know, that that was the reason for the diversification with Jack's is, you know, I, I opened the first union kitchen back in 2010 and that was a terrible time in Houston. You know, it was, a, it was a, a bit of a recession back then. And, you know, we were starting, we were just kind of starting to come out of it. And, you know, flash forward three years, I was trying to figure out how, you know, if people aren't going to spend $20 at lunch and $35 or $40 at dinner, what's, what's my next thing going to be? And when Jack's came available, um, when, you know, I was talking to the Griffins, and I was able to pick up both the Jack's grills at the time, their average ticket was like $11. So it was perfect for us to say, all right, you want to go out for, you know, somewhere between 10 and $15, go to Jack's grill. You want to, you want that solid, you know, kind of white table cloth, cloth ish place, but super casual go to the union kitchen, you know, now with Passarella, um, you know, we're on the water. So people are going to come in wearing shorts and flip-flops. It's not like we're going to turn somebody away. But, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, uh, uh, Matt's, um, Matt's motto that he kind of came up with, Matt Stevenson was our guests might be casual, but our service is not, you know, so we're going to try to live up to that standard of a fine, a finer dining restaurant. And no matter, no matter what you're wearing, no matter what, what you're doing that day, we're going to take care of you and and show you, you know, show you a good time. You
0: mentioned, uh, you mentioned that you have an opening date and then you didn't say what it is. So. So how much longer do we have to wait for Passarella? Uh We're shooting for the 17th. So
2: okay. uh, permits, inspections, all that kind of good stuff. Or We're at the tail end. Um, the 17th of this month should be, should be day one. You're the first person to hear it. My wife doesn't even know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exciting. I, I, I certainly can't wait to try it.
0: You know, the, the one other thing I, I want to talk to you about... Um, is that you know? I know you know. You you alluded to the fact you've been eating all this Italian food to kind of do your market research and get ready to get ready to open Passarella. But I know that you are a voracious diner at at all restaurants all over Houston. And so, you know, I just wanted to ask, like, what have you been to recently that that's impressed you? What have What have you liked? And yeah,
2: start with that. So. Um... You know, not that Blue Dorn is really all that new. I mean, it's, he's been around for a little while, but uh, every experience I've had there has been just freaking spot on, um, really impressed. And I've really kind of, you know, I've been to Hugo's, um, Hugo's new place, the counter service restaurant. Herbe. Herbe. I met, I met a couple guys over there and had a fantastic meal. Um You know, we've been trying a couple of uh, a couple of Doris and I have been trying a couple of Thai restaurants uh, out here in Katy, you know, where the uh, the kind of Asian town is right there at 99 and I 10. So, you know, fat eatery, I thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, You know, I as far as in town, I thought Konkura uh, was super creative. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was really, really good. Um, plus the chefs right in front of you. So you're kind of watching some of that food getting prepped. Um, Vito Moriscos is a, is a new place right off of, uh, right off of 99. Um, that is sort of Mexican seafood ish. And we tried a bunch of different, um, ceviches and crudos there. And I thought they were very good. So I don't, I don't know if there's one style of food that, I mean, that I can, <laughs> that I can focus on every, we went to, um, uh, the Warwick. Uh, my daughter had a she got elected class president, which I'm like super proud of. And she got straight A's and she got a she got a letter from the president, uh, uh, the president, sorry, the principal of the school. I'm like, I'm like, all right, where do you want to go? <laughs> yeah, you get a you get a Hawaiian ribeye. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get a ribeye. You get a ribeye. So it was, um, you know, I, I, I think every place in town that I've been recently, I can put my finger on something that they do really well, whether it's the hospitality or the appetizers or, um, you know, we went to uh, that uh, the new um, Patterson, the, the patio uh, place that you told oh, me yeah, about.
0: Patterson Park, yeah. Patterson yeah.
2: Park, man, I, that is such a cool, open feel. And I met my dad there for a drink and we were sitting in kind of the booth over in the middle towards the office. And I look out and I totally get that whole treehouse vibe. Cause it's that Creek that kind of rolls down behind and you're looking at the trees and stuff. So, um, and they, you know, and they had food trucks. So, you know, it's, it's as simple as a freaking taco off a food truck can hit the spot or, you know, obviously, uh, Hawaiian ribeye for $55. So it's, it's we're, we're wide open at the moment.
0: No, that's, that's great. And, and very well said. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate you doing this. I really, I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to try Pastorella. I,
2: I, I really hope you're going to like it, man. It's a, it's a cool vibe. Um, you know, we really, we really tried to make it, all the chairs in the restaurant are automotive uh, leather. So the bar stools are, are yellow, like the Ferrari interior. We've got all the, all the artwork around the restaurant are, you know, Italian brands like Versace and Prada and you know, uh, Ferrari and Lamborghini and things like that. And the idea is we just kind of want to, you know, when they walk into the restaurant, we want people to think about like, what is Italian? Like, what is it that I really like about Italian? Is it the clothing? Is it, is it the, is it the food? Is it the cars? Is it the wine? You know, just kind of get all the senses involved. So um, like I said, I think you're, it's more money than I've ever spent in my life on chandeliers. (laughs) (laughs) They're all Italian. Get a little like (laughs) Greg Cooper vibe. (laughs) You're going to love it. You're going to love it. We'll get you out there soon.
0: All right. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Uh Uh-oh. Paul Miller, what is your favorite ingredient?
2: Ooh, right now, truffles. May 2nd is Truffle Day with DR Delicacy. Um, We've been eating the heck out of some truffles, trying some different dishes. So easily, right now, truffle.
0: What is the uh, first band you ever saw in concert?
2: Def Leppard.
0: What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through
2: uh, It's two o'clock in the morning and it's Whataburger. I think that's, I think that's probably <laughs> at least 60% of Houston. <laughs> Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Ooh, that's a tough one. I met Earl Campbell the other day. And he was super freaking cool. So I'd have to say, uh, you know, the old Oilers, uh, uh, Beryl Campbell.
0: That's a good one. All right. And then finally, when you order a pizza, what are your go-to toppings?
2: Calabrian peppers, uh, buffalo mozzarella, and cupping pepperonis.
1: And then Mike's Mike's
2: hot honey on the side. (laughs) All right. Give us the... Give
0: us the website, uh, you know, maybe, maybe for Passarella, like how can people follow, uh, what's going on over there?
2: So, uh, great is the parent website. Uh, the Passarella website is not active yet. It's built and ready to go, but that's going to be Passarella, Italiano.com. Um, and it'll be up on the website, uh, it should be by the end of this week. So I'm just kind of putting the finishing touches on it, but, um, we're, we're excited to get you out there, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, man. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for thanks again for doing this. Always my pleasure,
0: man. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week with a very special episode that you won't want to miss.